0: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. I'm Carrie Rhodes, your host of The Parenting Hour, and tonight I have a fantastic guest, Dr. Sharon Donovan received her B.S. and Ph.D. in nutrition from the University of California, Davis, and she completed a postdoctoral fellowship in pediatric endocrinology at Stanford University School of Medicine, then accepted a faculty position at the University of Illinois Urbana in 1991. is currently a professor and holds the Melissa M. Knoll Endowed Chair, and she's actively involved in her professional societies and served as the 2011 to 2012 President of the American Society for Nutrition and is currently President-elect of the International Society of Research on Human Milk and Lactation. So thank you for tuning in to the Parenting Hour tonight on 88.9 FM in Irvine. Today I have a fantastic guest and she has identified these possible overlapping categories of behavior that might cause parents to identify, you know, a finicky eater with their child. So she'll be joining me on here in a few moments. Now, I know the struggle is real because, first of all, I as a kid, just could not stand beets. And I was probably uh, a type of oh, maybe a behavioral responder. I think this is one of the categories she has. And uh, boy, I tell you what, I'd, I'd get some beets and uh, I would gag. I could not eat beets. They were just terrible. And That's that's kind of what I went through. And peas, peas were another thing I could not eat as a kid, and I would just throw them underneath the table to my dog. And so, hopefully, if your kids are are uh, doing that, you can get some support here tonight from Sharon, and uh, she just has a great background, and and uh, I'm so excited to have her on with us today, and she'll be able to answer your questions. And of course, if you if you are just joining us now, you're going to catch the whole show. But if you want a friend to listen to this afterwards, you can go ahead and uh check out the podcast so i believe she's on air now good evening dr sharon donovan yes it is hi good evening thank you so much for joining us on air we are so thrilled to have you um for all of us parents that uh used to be finicky eaters like myself to all the parents that maybe have some finicky eaters uh it's just fun to have you here and uh Have you join us and translate all this research that you've been doing in pediatric nutrition and, you know, just supporting parents in this phase of life because, obviously, we know proper nutrition has such a great impact on health, and I think every parent I talk to is worried that their child's going to starve. Is this not something you hear? My kids just (laughs) not eat. They're starving. They're not starving, right? Please please assure them. (laughs) No, they're not starving. No, they're not. So how did you get into um, going on and earning your BS and your PhD in nutrition from the University of California, Davis? How did you decide to pick that field?
1: Well, you know, I didn't start out, I started out wanting to be a veterinarian. Wow. In my my (laughs) junior year, I took this nutrition class and it really sparked my interest. And I then went on and started doing some research for the professor and Just found my love and I just I think it's such a critical time in life because getting a good start in life whether it's starting with breastfeeding or you know learning healthy habits is important for setting us up on a you know health trajectory for the rest of our lives yeah it is and and they say that uh,
0: all health starts in the gut right
1: yeah that's a that's a big part of it and we know now more with the gut microbiome and Up brain axis. You know, there's studies now that, you know, what's our microbes can affect cognitive development and kids, Mm -hmm. and it's all linked and it all comes back to nutrition. Right.
0: These these four types of finicky eaters, maybe first you can kind of describe those to parents listening.
1: Okay, sure. So um, we started, my colleague and I, Dr. Sue Lee, who's also here at the University of Illinois, we started a couple years ago. With this question of, you know, what is a picky eater, we find that um, a lot of parents, up to 50% of parents, report that their child is a picky eater, and this incidence peaks at around two years of age. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you talk to different parents, you hear different descriptions, and um, oftentimes the most common one is, you know, a child will eat a limited number of foods or doesn't want to try new foods. Okay, so this is the kid that
0: is just eating a quesadilla or a chicken nugget or a bowl of macaroni. These are these kids. Okay.
1: Yeah, so they may skip a food group entirely, like, you know, they won't eat any fruits or vegetables. Mm -hmm. Or they'll eat from every group, but they'll eat a limited number. So maybe they'll only eat bananas and apples, or maybe they'll only have cereal and white bread or something. So, you know, we we started with what are called focus groups, where we just kind of brought groups of people in and and basically asked them, you know, how do they perceive picky eating? These were all parents who said they had a child that was a picky eater. Okay. And what kind of emerged from that is different categories. So children who might have before mealtime behaviors, and so in that case it's maybe that child might be just kind of a more difficult child, and so some of their general behaviors kind of just come to the dinner table as well. Um, There's also what we call the general mealtime preferences. So those are those kids who, you know, maybe don't like food touching on the plate, or maybe they don't like food that's mushy, or Mm. they don't like casserole. That's very common. You know, they'll... (laughs) Like all the separate ingredients, but once you mix them together, suddenly you know it's it's unknown.
0: Well, it pretty soon it starts looking disgusting,
1: which is a word yeah. I hear at my
0: dinner table a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then you know the fourth category is the one that we actually thought. My my colleague Dr. Lee is a sensory scientist, and so we really thought that a lot of the kids simply didn't like the taste or texture or flavor. But, you know, that actually, there there weren't many kids who who displayed that. A lot of them were what we call these general mealtime preferences. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the bottom line is that when we talked to parents, we found, you know, a lot of parents report their child's a picky eater or a fussy eater. But, you know, it really depends on that parent and the child and the relationship between them. Mm-hmm. And um, some behaviors that a ch- one child would do, might really, you know, have their parent perceive them as picky, where another parent might sort of just, like, water off a duck's back and not, you know, make such a big deal about it. So, you know, that also kind of led into future research where we looked at, you know, parenting style and feeding style, and, you know, in, in the classic parenting literature, there's what they call the authoritarian parent, you know, the kind of my way or the highway. Okay. And there's the authoritative parent, which is the best kind. It's kind of a balance of expectation and warmth. Mm-hmm. And, and so all of these parenting styles, so the authoritarian is more expectations with little warmth. The mm-hmm. authoritative is the best kind. It's kind of in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then the indulgent is very warm without a lot of expectations.
0: So, when, would the adult maybe be like the one that would say, okay, we know you don't want to eat that, so you don't have to, we'll just get you all these other things that you want to eat, even yeah. a bowl of cereal? Okay. okay. Or
1: peanut butter and jelly sandwich. or yeah. So, basically, we sort of superimposed that as well, and then we found that the parents most likely to report their child as a picky eater were the indulgent mm-hmm. and then the authoritarian you know, the ones who, like, you can't leave the table to eat all your peas.
0: Oh, that, was, that happened to me.
1: <laughs> right. And so, you know, but the thing about our parenting style, it's kind of something that's almost a little bit more hardwired. It, it's mm-hmm. impacted by our personalities, how we were raised. And so one of the things we're working on is, you know, First of all, having parents understand that picky eatings c- picky eaters come in all kinds of different flavors, mm-hmm. and you know you need to understand your child, but then you also need to understand that how you respond to the child, which is kind of you know wrapped in our parenting style, mm-hmm. can also either make the situation better or worse, mm-hmm. and so you know really the best the best thing is to you know, have expectations that your child, you know, come to the table, that they try new foods, but, you know, not to force them mm-hmm. to to eat something. And there's a, a really fascinating um, line of research by Dr. Leanne Birch who's showed that, you know, sometimes you need, a child will need 8 to 10 exposures to a, a new food before they're willing to accept it. And usually after about 3 or 4, most parents, you know, throw their hands in the air and say, well... You know, Jimmy's never going to eat that. I'm not going to mm. waste my time. But, you know, the kind of going back a little bit is, you know, the time that when most parents, when the peak of picky eating is, is around two to three. Okay. And that, that coincides with kind of a phase of kind of neophobia is one thing. So a lot of kids that age have this fear of new things, whether it's a... <laughs> stranger or you know a new situation but that can also go into foods i see okay yeah it's also a time when they're trying to exert more authority you know it's the i do it no yeah and Mm and around feeding and around meals is something that kids learn wow you know i can say no i can manipulate Mm -hmm. mommy and daddy (laughs) around this because they want us to eat and i I can control that and so there's sometimes understanding that well maybe their you know rejection of a new food is a little bit of their developmental stage but it's also you know them testing <laughs> I see so, so
0: in in the way that parents would respond so if a child's trying to have you know more control over eating because that is an area where they're gaining autonomy and they're learning about their preferences and who they are as a child What are some of, what are you finding these authoritative? What are the um, different ways authoritative parenting might respond to these different types of finicky eating?
1: Right. So, you know, part of it is giving them some choice in the matter. So, um, you know, a lot of times they'll say is, you know, serve some familiar foods on the plate along with a new food. And so that way the child isn't just looking at a plate full of things I don't like, you know, and... (laughs) And then, you know, encouraging to to taste. And there's another researcher in this area, um, Dr. Susan Johnson, who's in Colorado, and she's been recently doing some research where she actually found, you know, at first kids might just look at new food, and then maybe they're going to reach out and touch it, and then maybe they'll put it in their mouth and chew it, but they won't swallow it yet. You know, and this is all of this is behavior that many parents don't have a lot of patience for because, you know, we always hear, you know, don't play with your food. Mm -hmm. But really we should let children play with that food. (laughs) You know, let them touch it, smell it, feel it, and then eventually it will, you know, they'll swallow it. And, you know, encouraging that sort of exploration of the new food without a huge expectation that, you know, you're going to eat three bites of it. Because that's when you start to set up that battleground, you know, that if they really don't want it or they really don't like it and you're forcing them to do it, it's just going to lead to to stress. And and that doesn't make for a nice mealtime. No, it doesn't at all. Uh,
0: I think I always look at it as like if I was going to a country I'd never been in and somebody put a whole bunch of food out in front of me. I may not be super thrilled <laughs> to start trying a bunch of things. I've, you, know, I'd, you know, I'd probably feel it out. I'd look at it. I'd want to know what's in it. I'd sample a few bites, you know, chew it, cut it. Uh, what's the texture of it? I, I think as a child, I was very much one of these um, sensory dependent eaters, perhaps, or maybe even a behavior responder because beets did not go down well for me as a child, (laughs) so I think, you know, I think about that as experience as a kid, and uh, I always tell my kids, hey, it's an adventure, you can try it if you want, we'll try some other things, and I would put a lot of different things they liked on their plate, plus a couple things they didn't like, and then just hope they'd try something, you know, that was kind of always been my approach. (laughs) Well,
1: that's that's a good approach, and, you know, and also what you were talking to them about the food, Mm -hmm. and that's something, you know, so that, the other thing that will help children to to try a new food is to have them be involved in the process. So sometimes it's like in the grocery store, you know, if you're in the fruits and vegetables, have them pick something new out, you know, talk to them about, oh, well, this vegetable grows in the ground and, you know, why don't we try that? And so then they're already engaged. Or if they're, you know, old enough, you can have them be involved in the prep of it too. And so by, you know, bringing them in and having them be involved, that's, again, been shown in studies to increase their acceptance. This is like um, when they do gardens at schools and things mm-hmm. like that, that children are more likely to try the fruits and vegetables that they've grown themselves. I see. And so, you know, these are ways as the child gets bigger, you know, bring pull up a little stool and have them in the kitchen and, you know, have them see and, and talk to them about where food comes from and what color is this food, What is it crunchy, is it soft, and, you know, really... And that is also involved in modeling, and that's the other thing that's really important is that, you know, in this fear of new foods, they need to see mommy and daddy, they need to see older siblings consuming the food because that then gives them the message that this is safe to eat and this is enjoyable. And, you know, so that's why if, if dad's not eating his broccoli, <laughs> there's little chance that little Eddie's going to eat his broccoli because... <laughs> Daddy's not so
0: right. That makes you know, sense. Yeah. Makes
1: that's sense. how they learn. You know, they watch us and they model us. So you know, being a good role model for your child around eating and and I think in a big picture is that, you know, make the meal fun and make it, you know, reduce the stress. mm mm-hmm. Is you know, that'll make everything everybody will want to come to the table, everyone will wanna be engaged in that meal and that's just you know, takes the pressure off of, did you eat your vegetables? Because eventually, if they're there and you're eating them and they see them time and time again, they will eat them. Right.
0: Well, and so it sounds like really this, this whole picky eating thing isn't super uncommon. So you're saying that it peaks about, the age, about age two. And when does that kind of taper off? When do parents go, okay, we know that they're probably going to start moving out of this phase. What age are we seeing that?
1: Well, again, that really depends on how the parents respond. Mm, and if, So that's why, you know, if you make first of all, if you indulge them and, and make them other foods, it's not going to go away, you know, because they'll have realized, oh, well, I don't have to eat anything that I don't think I like. They won't even try it, you know, mm-hmm. know whether they like it or not, because mom and dad will make them something else, whether it's macaroni and cheese or a bologna sandwich or whatever.
0: <laughs> so that's so, the first thing parents should stop doing. Is so,
1: parents, if you're listening, right. she's saying,
0: "Don't make your kid that thirtieth quesadilla."
1: <laughs> yeah don't don't become the short order cook in your family. You know that's the big thing is say, you know I'm I think that we should make um, make allotments. You know we all understand what kinds of foods our family likes and then make sure that those are present. But by the same time kind of the balance that authoritative part is that expectation is this is what we're having for dinner and you know I've presented foods that I know that our family eats and likes and you know you're going to be expected to, <laughs> to eat this yeah. you know and you know an interesting thing so we're doing some studies that haven't yet been published but one of the things that we also found because we study kids in child care and at one point early on in the research we we had, like, a single child, and we asked that child's daycare provider. These were center-based daycares. You know, do you think the child's a picky eater, yes or no? Then we would ask the parents, do you think the child's a picky eater? And then we had objective measures of pickiness, either, you know, the numbers of items they ate on their plate or the percentage that they ate. And we observed them through a one-way mirror, eating lunch in the daycare. And what we found is that the parents were most likely to report the child a picky eater versus the child care provider or our objective assessment. And so we thought, well, is that just because the parent has more of a history with this child or, you know, are they really pickier? We thought, you know, maybe the parents, maybe because of their parenting style, we really didn't know. So recently we just finished a study where we had the same meal, there were actually two different... Types of meals. One that was a little more popular items, and another with a little less popular items. And we had the child consume those in their daycare and in their home, and we videotaped them in all four meals. Okay. And the the one that I love is this little girl who, in the daycare setting, had her raw broccoli. She was dipping it into the ranch dressing, eating it away. You know, multiple bites. Seems fine. And then at home, with the same meal, her mom on the video says, oh, you're not eating your broccoli. And she (laughs) responded, I don't like broccoli. (laughs) And so that also taught us that the expectation, you know, these, these children were three and four years old. So it's not like, you know, they were five or six. So even by 3 and 4, they sort of knew what the expectations were in the different settings. And in daycare, particularly center-based daycare, you know, they know this is the meal, this is the time we have to meal, they eat the meal, you know, this is the table that we sit at, and they conformed. And then we also looked at children in home-based daycare, the same paradigm, just in a home-based setting, and we didn't see too much difference between the home and the home-based daycare. They seem to be pretty similar. But what we found is we recorded the picky eating behaviors during these meals. And to the same meals, when we went from the daycare to the home, the picky eating behaviors increased three times wow. for the same meals. So, you know, again, we're trying to figure this out. Is this because maybe the child wasn't that crazy about the meal in daycare, but they ate it. <laughs> when they got it at home, they're like, No way, Jose <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't like this at daycare and I don't know I know that you got the pantry behind you, Mom, you know, why yeah. am I having to eat this? But you know, really taught us that daycare that feeding is situational mm-hmm. and you know, probably all of us have experienced that where your kid does a sleepover at somebody else's home and then you talk to the mom and they're like, Oh, well they ate, you know, such and such item and you're like, Well, they won't eat that at home. <laughs> so you know, this also kind of gets into that picky eating because we're we're starting to see even young children adapt what they will eat based on the environment that they're in. Well, and it makes sense because if
0: you're in daycare, for sure they're too busy, and the child knows I'm not going to get a second snack out of this. So I'm hungry. Right. And I should probably eat. My friends are eating, so I'll eat. <clears throat> Interesting. But
1: you know, one of the things I think a parent can do in that situation if say, your child's in daycare is talk to that. Provider, mm-hmm. and you know, try to get that dialogue going of you know what is my child eating, you know, and and because that way you have a better idea of kind of how they're performing in the daycare setting versus at home, mm. and 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 also like that's consistency across settings, and so then you know, in some ways you can kind of call them on it and say. Hmm, well, you know, Miss Susie said that you like to eat broccoli at school. You know, is there some other reason why you don't want to have it at home? <laughs> and, you know, you can kind of kind trick them out a little bit, but, you know, this idea of consistency and feeding across settings can potentially help also to reduce some of those, you know, picky eating behaviors. But, you know, what we've learned through this, this has been a multiple-year project, is that, you know, it's a lot more complex than we thought in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a normal. Seems to be a, a normal developmental thing that children go through. Mm-hmm. And your your question before about how long does it last? I mean, I think that's individual to the child, but we do know that how big of a deal the parent makes about it will determine how long it's going to last. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you if you indulge them, you're going to be making them peanut butter and jelly sandwiches when they're seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, literally. And if, and if you become too authoritarian mm-hmm. and, you know, and set up these battles about you no know, dessert you eat your vegetables, types of thing, then that makes not only that dessert so much more desirable, it makes that, that vegetable heinous because that's what's <laughs> keeping me from getting dessert. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So, that nasty little vegetable. <laughs> you know, we just got to back off, take a chill pill and realize food is food right. and food is there for nutrition, but... You know, we want our children to eat healthy food, so our responsibility is to make those available, but their responsibility is to learn to eat them and, you know, to let that process play out and, and not turn times into battlefields is the best advice.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate that advice. Well, I know that all the parents listening are just, they're, they're taking notes probably at this point. They're like, oh, I, I didn't know I could be doing it different or that this is my child's going to outgrow this and they're definitely not starving, that's for sure. Um, right. Those of you that are tuning in here, the last part of our show, I've been joined by Sharon Donovan and she's a professor of nutrition at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and she's one of the researchers that identified these possible overlapping categories um, of behavior that can cause parents to identify their children as Picky eaters, and we're in the last couple minutes of our program here, um, Doctor Donovan. I want to know just uh, final tips for parents. I want to make sure I got them all. So, um, for a child that doesn't like to eat mixed foods, you're talking about bringing them into the kitchen, like the value of these uh, school gardens where they can see all these individual things before they get them served as one big lump item. And what are some other right. final things to follow up for parents?
1: Well, and and sometimes if they don't like mixed items, then don't push it. I mean, I had that kind of a little boy who. <laughs> we had an issue with lasagna and, you know, and it just, we, we sort of just took a break from it, even though we tried to reason how he liked all the individual ingredients. But again, it wasn't necessarily worth the battle. Mm-hmm. You know, he would eat the pasta with just some sauce and meatballs on the side. You know, that's fine. We don't have to serve lasagna. Now he loves lasagna. So, you know, I think the big picture is, is that, you know, we have to choose our battles and, You know, sometimes it's not necessarily... We don't want to, like, indulge in making them a whole separate meal, but it also can help us to not... Just understand that this hopefully will not be that long of a period of time, and if we sort of let them to have some choices, then that will sort of fulfill their need to, to be, you know, this growing autonomy without the parents totally losing control, because you're still responsible, you're still as Ellen Satter, who's another researcher in this area, she's like the parent is the gatekeeper. You know, the parent decides what comes in the house and what goes on the table, but the child's responsibility is then to decide what to eat and how much. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, such a such a hard thing to do. But if we let our children do that, you know, they actually become healthier eaters because sometimes we tend to over when we want to overrule them when they say they're full or maybe they're not hungry. And, um, you know, so that was just another quick thing is that, (coughs) you know, if your child is not eating, maybe it's because they're just not hungry. So sometimes, you know, not giving a snack too close to dinner time or, you know, finding out, again, talking to that daycare provider because maybe they ate a super, super big lunch that day and then at dinner time, they're just not that hungry. So studies have shown that, you know, from day to day to day, kids eat pretty consistently, but from meal to meal, there's huge ranges. and so you know it's again, choosing our battles don't don't worry too much if your child isn't eating that much at a dinner. You know, let them exert that that autonomy.
0: All right. Well, those are some great tips. Again, thank you so much for joining us on air, Dr. Donovan. And those of you that are catching the end of this, you can go online and download the podcast for this interview. Dr. Sharon Donovan, a professor of nutrition at University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. So thank you again. Well, thanks for having me. So those of you turning in here at the end of the hour, I'll make sure to get this podcast up so you can share it with your friends that might be struggling with their toddlers coming to the dinner table, eating at the dinner table, eating just one or two or three different types of food categories. No, as Dr. Sharon Donovan said, it peaks around age two and it's going to go away the sooner we as parents stop hyper-responding to it. So hang in there, parents, and I'll catch you next Thursday at 5.30 here at KUCI-FM in Irvine.